Today's reading is taken from um, the first book of Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. You can find that on page 1156 in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 50 to 58, page 1156. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immorality. Immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Well read, Yvette, and uh, good spot. It's a bit of a difference, isn't there, between those two words? They look very similar written down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, Pray that the words we've been singing, the words we've just read, Lord, that uh, you'd be helping us to understand, both with minds uh, and hearts, to receive the truth of Jesus' resurrection and what that means uh, for ordinary people today. Please be helping us to make sense of these things, clarifying which questions we need answering ministering truth to our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You heard me mention, uh, those who didn't know in the, in the prayers, that uh, Caroline Bauman um, passed away uh, on Tuesday uh, after many years of uh, battling cancer. And when um, something like that happens, when someone like that uh, passes after a, a long struggle, people try, I think, to be very kind and positive. They They'll say things like, well, at least she's not suffering anymore. Um, At least she's gone to a better place. And I think my experience is that people say that pretty much whatever they believe about life and death and ever, ever after. Because they're trying to be kind, they're trying to be positive. We're looking this morning at the basis on which we can say those things with total confidence. 
on the basis of which we can have not just a wouldn't it be nice if there was a lovely future after we die, but actually a certain hope that there is the restoration of all things and the fulfillment of God's purposes forever. That's what we're looking at this morning. It's exciting stuff. It's what you can build a life on. It's what you can bring up a family on, this truth that we're looking at this morning. And it is so relevant in our world because, after all, death is the ultimate statistic, isn't it? One out of one people. And our scientists, they can't, clever as they are, do an experiment where they give us some sort of readings on death. They can't sort of send a probe beyond in some way and sort of say, oh, yes, well, this is what we found and this is the... It just, that's not possible. Uh, Some people have near-death experiences and they usually talk about being surrounded by light or something like that. But that could easily just be um, what happens when the uh, brain is starved of oxygen uh, near the point of death. The only way to know what happens when we die beyond a shadow of doubt, is if someone definitely dies beyond a shadow of doubt, they die, they bury them, they're gone, and then they come back. And that is what we've been singing about. That's what we've been thinking about for a few weeks now since Easter Day, and that's what we're focusing on uh, today at the end of this uh, chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians is the only place, the only person we can go to who actually knows. And this is whom Paul is writing about, Jesus Christ, the one who has risen never to die again. This is not just another opinion. This is somewhere where you can build our lives. Well, I may have already given you big questions. Uh, we have been uh, giving uh, this uh, book out for the last couple of weeks, uh, Your Verdict on the Empty Tomb. And um, it may well be that uh, a good thing to do um, uh, if you've sort of come this morning and you think, well, I don't believe any of that, is to pick up a copy on the left-hand side on your way out and just have a read. It's a really good write-up of some of the evidence and how this uh, author of our grief Uh, came to believe that it was, in in fact, true that Jesus rose from the dead. We're thinking this morning, though, about what it means, what it means for us. And so let's trace it through. I've got a two, a one, and a three. Two problems that we're told about here. One brilliant piece of news, and then three responses to the brilliant piece of news. Two problems. The first is in verse 50, right at the beginning. And uh, it's that flesh and blood, which is all of us, isn't it, can't inherit the kingdom of God. Oh. It's not possible for us to inherit the kingdom of God. We're not qualified. Why not? Because, and this is where the perishable and imperishable, the mortal and immortality words come up. Our flesh and body, well, it's like the supermarket. You go there and you buy your apples and it's got a sticker on the back, hasn't it? best before such and such a date, used by such and such a date. There's no sticker on our bodies, but it's the same, isn't it? They are perishable goods. And the older we get, the more conscious of that we are. Problem one, flesh and blood cannot, will not live forever to inherit the kingdom of God. It's linked with problem two, which I'm picking out from verse 56, 
where it talks about sin in our lives. That Andrew mentioned when we confessed our sin, that there's this diagnosis in the Christian faith of something in our lives which is real and powerful and very difficult to get rid of and which corrupts everything, which the Bible calls sin. Uh, we say things wrong, we do things wrong, we think things wrong, and, and it spoils. Sin spoils terribly. It, it lies, destroy trust at work in families. Uh, greed and envy robs individuals and a society of contentment, of satisfaction. Sin spoils in the present. But much worse than that, it disqualifies in the future. It disqualifies us from being in the presence of a God who is pure and perfect and sinless. It is a poison in our lives which turns heaven into hell. And the reason that's such a problem for you and for me and for the human race is that we're all eternal beings. God's made us eternal beings. The outside is perishable, but the soul will spend eternity somewhere. That's the truth for you and me, for a whole human race. We're made by God as eternal beings. We will either be with him beyond death or we'll be separated from him beyond death. And that's why it talks in verse 56 about the sting of death. Death itself is horrendous, but it has a sting as well, which is sin, which seals our fate in eternity. It, it plunges the sting in so that when we face God, our track record will be sinner. And we have to face him at judgment. Now, if you have some horrible illness, as um, some people have been through uh, cancer treatment uh, in our congregation, um, you'd rather know, wouldn't you, if you've got something wrong, You'd rather, even though it's really sobering news when the doctor says it, you'd rather know so that you can get some treatment, so you can get some help. And it's the same with this diagnosis of sin and judgment. It's not just there to kind of go, to be negative about us or something like that. It's there to say there is a problem, but God has come to the rescue. So two problems, the reality of death and the sting of death, sin which sends, uh, sends us away from God into hell. Two problems, one brilliant piece of news. Verse 57, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we've been singing about, three days after he was killed, brutally executed, Jesus rose, never to die again. And won an astounding victory. It is astonishingly good news for people who face the ultimate statistic, isn't it? In verse 55 um, and verse 54, the verse before it, it's as though death there is personified, uh, I guess like some sort of cackling fiend in a, in a movie, old school movie, um, sort of laughing at us. Because as people go through the door of death, it, it shuts behind them. And it seems so, so final. It has the last laugh. Until when Jesus goes through the door, the laugh rings hollow. Because three days later, he comes back through and he bursts it off its hinges. That's the story of the resurrection. 
is someone who has beaten death, not only for himself, but for all those who put their faith in him, who has risen in victory and triumph, so that all who put their hand in his hand can have a confidence, a humble confidence, but a total confidence because of him in the reality of death. And so it means that by verse 55, what Paul writes there, death is being mocked and taunted. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Of course, death is still incredibly painful. It severs loving relationships. We, we all know that. Some in this room now have, have lost a spouse. Um, Roger, at home this morning, it would seem, lost his wife this week. But Roger was able to say um, to Caroline before she passed that this wasn't goodbye, it was see you later. Because he had this certain hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Caroline had her faith in Jesus, Roger has his They're going to see each other again in the presence of Jesus Christ. He got through death. He can get you through death. He can get any of us through death. It'll still be painful, terribly painful, but it will not have a sting to harm us because we've been forgiven by Jesus. Um, A picture of this which helps me is to imagine a little boy out in the garden playing or out in the park and... um, there's a bee buzzing around and the little boy's scared doesn't want to get stung and he's frightened and he's trying to watch it and see and then his mum comes alongside him and puts her arm around him to comfort him and immediately he calms down a bit and then he, he hears his mum he, sorry, he feels his mum flinch and the buzzing stops Because once a bee has stung, it can only sting once. And I find that a really helpful picture of what Jesus has done. It's how it is with the sting of death. You see, the devil is a legalist. If you see in verse uh, 56, it talks about the power of sin is, is the law. And so it's as though on judgment day, I'll stand there before God and the devil will be the prosecuting attorney... And um, he will start reeling off a list, and it'll be a long list, of the wrong things Steve Dival has said and thought and done. And it goes on and on. And he's broken your laws, God. He deserves to be, he doesn't deserve to be in your presence forever. He deserves to be shut out with the other sinners. And I'll be standing there guilty as charged. But Jesus will come. And put his arm around me and say, Father, I've already paid for the sins of Steve Dival in full. I've taken the sting of death. And so for me, death will have no sting. For anyone who trusts Jesus, death will have no sting. There will just be assurance and forgiveness and love in the presence of God 
and me restored to be, we'll think about this in a minute, restored to be who I should be and who I am in my better moments. I wonder whether you know that assurance, that, that certainty, that hope before God of favour. It's what he wants for you, for me, for all of us. It's why Val Grieve wrote his book, is that we could see the evidence for it. That's why we're studying this, to say, yes, Lord, I, I want this. He's, Jesus is risen. He's only a prayer away. If you know enough to pray, then just talk to him about this. Tell him you want that assurance. Tell him you want that forgiveness in your life. And if you've done that, isn't it the most brilliant piece of news when you remember, when you don't get distracted? It's the most brilliant truth to build your life on. It's total transformation, actually, in the future. Verse 52 talks about the future. It's brilliant. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. I will see God face to face. We'll see God face to face, and we'll be the people we were meant to be the people we have the potential to be, in in fullness. Jesus will share his resurrection life with people. Verse 54, the perishable will be clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And then uh, the saying will be written, will become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. You see, I said earlier that our souls are eternal, but it's not just our souls. Christians don't believe in the immortality of the soul floating around in some cloud. We believe in the resurrection of the body, that actually all of us will be in a new body before God on Judgment Day. And it's great news. It's great news that we're going to get new bodies. The older we get, the more we think, oh, that's really good news. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, There'll be no titanium in in my new body. Um, There is in this current body holding me together. Um, There'll be no aches and pains and and sleepless nights. There'll be no, oh, it'll be so good to be uh, uh, with God. So three responses. Three responses to this great news. The first is spontaneous, verse 57. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We, we sing about it. The songs help us because the music helps us to go, yeah, okay, I do want to thank you, Lord. But actually, daily, as we remember this, as we live you know, a wet Wednesday, we still want to be people who thank God for his astounding goodness to us in Jesus. Not that we pretend we're happy when we're not, but just that all the time, even, even in the valley of the shadow of death, when we're in agony, we nevertheless know that there is truth, there is certainty, there is something that holds us, someone who's with us always. And so we can say thank you even on those occasions. So first, spontaneous, thank you. Second response, verse 58, stand firm, let nothing move you. Um, The only thing that's certain in your future and in mine is that we're going to meet Jesus. He's going to return. I got my 2018 diary through this week. Um, clipped it, I have a file of acts thing, so I clipped it in the back of, and you think, gosh, 2018, wow, that's, oh, that's, oh, wow, yeah, time flies. Um, not yet, there's still quite a lot of 2017 yeah, left, yes, but, but actually, more certain than me using all the pages of, those di- the, of that diary, I don't know necessarily that I will, but more certain than that, I'm going to meet Jesus, he is going to return, 
People don't rise from the dead. That's impossible. We all know that, and yet it happened. Remaking the heavens and the earth. Well, none of us has seen that. That's quite a big job, but the one who raised Jesus from the dead is going to do that, and he is going to judge the world. It's a certain promise. So don't let anyone shake your confidence. Don't let life shake your confidence. This is a rock to build on. Don't let anything move you. I think um, two things do that for us in our culture. Uh, some of the pressure we face, some of the mockery, you know, when people sort of mock us and say, well, oh, yeah, you believe in the sky fairy, don't you? Um, or something like that. Um, or just the sort of, you know, the, uh, or the reality of our failure when we try and live for Jesus and it just doesn't work out. There are all sorts of things that, that do rock us. There's simply distraction. I think, you know, sometimes, you know, all right, right, Steve, you know, 2018 seems quite a long way away, let alone Jesus returning at the end of time. Um, there's so much to do. And I find this, you know, there's just so much to do. And I get distracted by everything around me. And I sort of don't necessarily build on this foundation in the way I ought to. But that's the picture. Stand firm, says Paul. Let nothing move you. This is the future. There's no other future. No other one who can get us through it. And so the final response flows from that, really. Uh, second half of verse 30, uh, 58. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Yeah? Um, we all have a tendency to hedge our bets, particularly when the future is uncertain. And we give a bit of ourselves to this person, this situation, a bit to that project. Keep your options open. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's the proverbial wisdom, isn't it? And sure, if you don't know how the future is going to be, if you don't know what tomorrow holds, then sure, that's a fair investment strategy. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. But supposing you knew that one basket is going to survive the future and the rest are not. Supposing you knew you had some money to invest to put in a bank and there was no government guarantee scheme and you knew that one bank that seemed to be offering really amazing deals was actually very shaky and wasn't going to be around in a year's time and the other bank that would just keep your money safe well, they were going to be around forever, where would you put your money? You'd be tempted, but you'd be crazy to put it in the bank that's about to collapse if there's no government guarantee scheme. And we understand that, don't we? This is, this is life and death and forever. This is, this is our souls, our futures. We're going to invest them well if we invest in the only thing that's going to last, namely the kingdom of God. Everything else is going to be remade. But people who've come to know God in his kingdom, that's what's going to last forever. And so to invest our lives there, that's where we want to... It, it, Paul's honest about what that, that looks like. It's labor, he says in verse 58. But actually, it's not in vain. It can be really wearying doing the work of God in the gospel. You know, cleaning this building, as, as I do from time to time. Or um, uh, the work Pat does, looking after all the groups using the basement. Or, um, you know, on a Saturday when you're actually just quite tired, working away to prepare a Sunday, a Sunday club session, or to lead in prayer, or to lead us musically. And you're thinking, oh, this is pretty exhausting, and is anyone going to notice? Um, it's not particularly glamorous. Or... 
making that time to uh, pray for the colleague that you said you'd pray for, and you just think, oh, it's not going to make any difference, and they're not really going to be very grateful. I, I only said it casually. But doing the work of God is, is, is often so unglamorous, so ordinary, but this is what lasts forever. I just want to end with a quote that uh, is very truncated but uh, very moving. On the uh, church Facebook page, you'll find uh, the fuller version of this. It's um, something from a a message given the day after Palm Sunday by Father Boul Georges. I'm sure you say his name differently if you are Egyptian. Um, He was preaching uh, the day after the Palm Sunday bombings in Egypt um, and the title that was on the YouTube clip was A Message to Those Who Kill Us. There were two profound things he said at the end of his sermon, which I think just demonstrate what it looks like to really believe this in a hard place. He said, the first thing we will say is thank you. Thank you very much. And you won't believe us when we say it. You know why we thank you? I tell you. We thank you because you have for us, shortened the journey. When someone is heading home to a particular city, he keeps looking at the time. When will I get home? Are we there yet? Can you imagine if in an instant he finds himself on a rocket ship straight to his destination? You shorten the journey. Thank you for shortening the journey. And he says more on that. The second part of the message we want to send you is that we love you. And this, unfortunately, you won't understand at all. Maybe you won't believe us when we say we're grateful. But this, you won't even understand. Why won't you understand it? Because this, too, is a teaching of our Christ. I want you to explain to you about our Christ. I want to tell you about how wonderful he is. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? But I say to you, love your enemies. And so he says, I love you to imagining him speaking to those who have committed the atrocities. He says, I love you very much. And we're praying for you. My instructions from my loving God make it my duty to pray for you. He then closed off his sermon. I'm embarrassed to say at the beginning of Holy Week that the church, though she is in pain, rejoices because today, I don't know what the final count is, they say 40-something, and of course... Many people in the hospitals will catch up to them. All of these are crowns. They are rejoicing with God. And they will attend the resurrection up there. And they're praying for us. The rest is on us. Oh, you, you lucky, lucky, lucky ones, until it is our turn. To our God be glory, now and forever. Amen. So I, I just found it very moving to read it, considering those words were spoken the day after those atrocities. But that is through the pain and anguish of the Egyptian church, the reality that the resurrection brings to life. It is a certain hope. Therefore, to go back and end with the words of 1 Corinthians, 
My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain.